0: And the people of God said, amen. Amen. what a beautiful poem by Maya Angelou that reminds us that ultimately our call is to be made free in Christ, amen, and to seek the liberation of other people, especially those on the margins, amen. Powerful, powerful words of poetry that center us today as we uh, now enter into this continued sermon series about faith on the red carpet. I will say the worship team, as I've said throughout these two series of both Faith on Broadway and Faith on the Red Carpet, have chosen some pretty challenging uh, movies, right? I mean, a couple of weeks ago we had Beauty and the Beast. That was a little break, amen? Things wrapped up nicely, and uh, Belle and the Beast get together, and it all turns out well, and I kind of wish that's how all the movies went, amen, right? But you and I know that's not the case, right? It's not the case in our lives. It's not the case in the world life is messy things don't redeem as clearly and beautifully and simply as we would like and in many ways the movie we're encountering today is about restoration and redemption but it's also about weariness and injustice i know you know what it's like to be tired anybody ever been so tired you didn't think you could function anybody ever been weary after a difficult time in your life whether it's the loss of a loved one Or the loss of a job or a relationship that isn't working or hasn't worked or has ended, right? Have you been weary uh, from illness? Some of us have lived through illnesses like cancer and other things, and we've known what it's like to be just exhausted. And for some of us in the room, like me, we've struggled with depression, amen, and anxiety, and sometimes felt like it defines our lives. we are so, so tired. So I think most of us in the room have some experience of that deep weariness, that deep exhaustion, uh, that deep sometimes hopelessness that comes when we can't see a way out, right? And we know the world knows that, right? I mean, we see the, the war in Ukraine and Russia. It continues to plague us. But think about living there. Amen. Think about the Civil War in Sudan, the strife in South Sudan, and all of those people impacted around the world by climate change and storms, it can feel overwhelming. In fact, sometimes I have to stop watching the news so I can go to sleep because it creates so much anxiety and it feels so exhausting. And I haven't even mentioned our favorite thing, the pandemic, amen, right? How much it changed our lives. I was in a conversation the other day, post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, current pandemic. We define our lives in weird ways that way. And, and we know the pandemic accelerated some of our weariness, amen, created some of our loneliness. It might have expanded our anxiety. And so I think we all kind of know weariness and deep exhaustion. And we know that others do as well. And so I think part of what I love about the passages today, the poem from Maya Angelou, and, and the beautiful work of Shawshank Redemption is it's about redemption in the midst of exhaustion. It's about redemption in the midst of hopelessness. Have you ever been hopeless? Or at least close to Hopeless? Where you thought there's no way out. It's not going to resolve. I thought it was going to be better. I thought this relationship would be the one. I thought this would happen. I thought this would go. I thought my kids would do this. I thought I would do this. I thought retirement would be like this. Anybody, right? And then injustice, racism in the world. Poverty. All of these things that make us weary. But God continues to call us back as the people of Jesus to be hope in the world. But it's hard. It's hard. Talk to someone this week whose relationship is really probably near the end. I'm so tired, Pastor. I'm so tired. Or someone who thought they had a job and they didn't get it and now they're frustrated. I'm so tired. Or somebody who just has worked themselves endlessly. Type one, Enneagram, anybody, amen. (laughs) And I'm just exhausted. And so I love this film because it's not easy, it's hard, it actually makes me anxious and weary when I watched it, but then you get these beautiful glimpses of redemption, and I think that's what's true in our faith, right? We want it all to be redeemed and the sun to come out and songs and sunshine, and those days do happen, amen? But sometimes the redemption is a little harder to find, we have to kind of search a little bit and then God says, see, it's here, redeeming, renewing, hopeful reality. So this movie is really hard. It's one of my favorites, but it's a hard movie, and um, I would encourage you to watch it if you haven't, and uh, you could watch it during the service if you'd like. It'd be a little distracting, but but Shawshank Redemption was released in 1994. It was based on a novella by Stephen King. That's shocking to me, right? Because we often think of Stephen King for things like Salem's Lot or Pet Sematary or some of these high-level, fearful things. I remember reading Stephen King. The first book I read by Stephen King was uh, uh, pets, uh, was uh, Salem's Lot, which was about vampires. And if you know me well, I hate vampires, right? <laughs> I really do. All those vampire movies, I was, I was like, what's going on here? Nobody has room for vampires, right? And, and yet, in seventh grade, I wanted to read the book. And my mom said, do not read that book. I know you. You will be scared and not able to sleep. But seventh graders don't have a lot of wisdom, amen? Right? And so I got it from the library and I would read it late at night uh, with my little lamp so that I could read it. And I remember one night staying up extremely late to read this book, Salem's Lot, which was extremely fearful. And it was all about vampires. And I finished it and I went, I can't sleep. I'm afraid. So I convinced myself to go into the kitchen, I ate two popsicles, and then took the sticks, glued them together, and placed them as a cross on my (laughs) chest. Word to self, put that away before mom comes in to wake you up for school, because she said, oh, you've been reading that book, right? So it's hard for me to move from vampires and and that to something redemptive and beautiful and hopeful and challenging and a real reflection of the world and its brokenness and sin. Amen? Amen. But this movie was released in 94. Stephen King wrote the the novella, which then became the foundation for the movie. Here's interesting. This is one of the most watched films in the U.S. and across the world, right? It was nominated for several Academy Awards and it won not one. It was shocking. In fact, if you Google articles on it, they're still surprised that it never won an Academy Award. And yet, it's one of the most watched films in the country. It, it's listed on several sites as one of the top 250. And IMDb, which kind of evaluates films and shows films, lists it as its top 10 films, one of its top 10 films. So it's amazing that this a, a lack of award-winning film actually speaks deeply. And I think it speaks deeply to us because it reminds us of injustice in the world. Amen? It reminds us that things don't clean up easily. Amen? And it reminds us that God's hope can pervade even the darkest hour. Now, I want to introduce you to the characters. Uh, So, uh, again, most of you have seen the movie, but maybe not. The first uh, character is Andy Dufresne. He's the protagonist. He's a former vice president of a bank in Portland, Maine. Andy is 30 years old when he arrives at Shawshank. He's been falsely accused of murdering his wife and lover. She had an affair Uh, uh, but he is innocent, but he's falsely accused, falsely convicted, two life sentences in the Shawshank prison. Uh, He's a neat, short, meticulous man with sandy blonde hair. His small hands wears gold-rimmed glasses. It's just kind of a petite, quiet, introverted guy. That doesn't play well in a large-scale prison. Amen, right? And that's what happens. Many of the inmates think he's cold and are removed, but he's really introverted, calm and composed. But unfortunately, after he arrives, he's the brunt of lots of abuse, lots of violence. You may remember, if you've seen the film, it's one scene after the other. He almost falls into a deep place of hopelessness. Eventually, two things happen. He becomes the prison librarian and rebuilds the library chair. You would love him for that, right? Uh, If you don't know, Cherry's our uh, librarian, along with the whole team. Uh, And he begins to petition the state of Maine for money to rebuild the the library and to bring books in and help create education, which is beautiful in the midst of his own injustice, right? He's also a financial wizard, and he offers free tax advice and financial advice to the warden and the guards. That will be important for him. And uh, he is a mixed bag because... It seems like he's not going to be hopeful, and then he is. The second person we know is Red, played by Morgan Freeman. Uh, His official name, Ellis Boyd, Red. He's the official smuggler in the prison. He can get anything you want into the prison. That plays important for Andy because he will eventually get him a little hammer. Little rock hammer about this big, and he'll get that smuggled in. That's going to be important. And a poster of Raquel Welch, which will be important in the movie as well. Uh, And I encourage you to watch it just for that piece as well. Uh, Red is the narrator of the story. He's the one who tells the story. Uh, He's a convicted murderer with a life sentence and really wanders in and out of hopelessness frequently and cynicism. But somehow Andy befriends him, and he befriends Andy. And they build a relationship and a friendship. And interestingly, at the end of the movie, when Red is finally paroled, he doesn't think he'll ever be, but he is. He walks into the world with fear. He doesn't know how he can live outside of prison walls. uh, And he contemplates ending his life. But he remembers that Andy gave him instructions before he escaped about an oak tree in Buxton. And that's where he goes. And that's how... Uh, and he delivers him to a new life. Amen. Warden Norton, you know, you'll see him. I wish I could say he's redeemed in any way. He is not, right? I always like to watch a movie where somebody has a little redemption or, oh, there's a little light, or, well, this person's not 100% bad. Well, he's 100% bad, right? He's a horrible person. And what's interesting, he claims to be the most religious, he claims to be a very faithful Baptist in the movie. No slide on Baptist, please. Amen. <laughs> um, but he 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 accepts bribes from local construction companies. He uh, encourages the violence and conflict in the prison. He ends up using Andy as a financial guide for two reasons: for his own benefit, but also because of his illegal activities in the prison. He's cooking the books, if you will, and eventually that will uh, get him in the end. In fact. Andy will, at the very end, reveal this crime, and Norton will end his life. Uh, There's just not much redemptive about him, and I hate to say it, sometimes that's true in the world. Evil seems to pervade in some really hard and horrible ways. Captain Hadley, a small glimpse of redemption, right, occasionally. Uh, He's tough. He's the prison guard, tall, uh, uh, strong, speaks loudly, threats with violence. He's pessimistic, cynical, paranoid. He feels like the world's out to get him. He has lots of problems with Andy and all the prisoners. He's, he's really a tough guy, amen? Just, I mean, tough is really light on that. Um, and, he, and, and in the end, he actually saves Andy in some ways because Andy offers to help him deal with a $35,000 gift from a lost brother to, to deal with officially and above board with the IRS. And so that's kind of what opens this whole financial counseling business in the prison, but when he, what happens is because of his support of Hadley's money, when the gang continues to try to abuse Andy, the, the captain stops it. So it's the kind of one uh, of, of a few redemptive moments in his life. The next character is not a main character, but one of my favorite characters is Bruce, Brooks Hatlin, who's an older prisoner. Uh, he's part of Red's community. He has a soft spot for animals, he takes care of birds, and he maintains the library along with Andy and they become friends. He, he's just, he's a great sign of innocence and redemption after the fact in the prison, uh, but he can't imagine life outside of captivity. Isn't that amazing? And in many ways the poem today uh, reminds us that Brooks will be released and can't live in the world. He's so frightened by not having all the confines, which sometimes happens in our lives, And he ends his life. And then Tommy Williams, the final character. There are many others. Uh, He's a young inmate, career criminal, who ends up in in the prison. Um, And uh, he uh, befriends Andy. Andy befriends him. And then through a conversation, they realize that Tommy has met the actual murderer of Andy's uh, wife. And we think this is a great moment of redemption when Andy will be released and Tommy will have helped him find freedom. But when Andy goes to the warden, the warden doesn't want to release his financial book cooker, right? And so uh, he has uh, Tommy killed. I told you the warden's not very redemptive. And Andy has left. And Andy says, I won't do this anymore for you. And there's lots of punishment. And in the end, he said, I'll destroy the library and I'll destroy all your friends and that's just a really hard moment in the film when you realize that it feels like things are extremely hopeless i told you it was a tough movie didn't i really it is and so what i like about the film is that there are moments of redemption there's a deep sense of redemption at the end for some but throughout the film there are moments of hope and restoration of peace and grace that wedge themselves in the midst of evil and injustice and brokenness. Now, I want to look at the two passages that we have uh, interfaced with this film. And the first one, if you have your Bible, is in uh, the Hebrew Scriptures uh, in Isaiah, the prophet. And we're looking at chapter 40. So if you'd like, you can turn there. If you have your Bible or if you have it on your phone, you can turn there, or if you haven't brought a Bible, there's a red Bible in front of you in the seating, and you can turn, Isaiah 40, verse 28. Now, Isaiah is a prophet. Everybody knows that, right? And a prophet that is helping uh, the exiles um, in Babylon have some sense of hope because you remember they have been under siege in Jerusalem you remember the Babylonians destroyed the temple, the center of their life, their religious life, their spiritual journey, their relationship with God. They, many of them have been taken away and taken to Babylon many, 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 many miles from home, right? And they are alone and isolated and fearful. Everything they've known is gone. And some of us know that story, amen, where everything we knew has changed and now we don't know it at all. Nothing looks like the same. And so these exiles are very hopeless, but there's the beginnings that the Babylonians are going to be taken over by the Persians, and possibly there could be restoration and return to Jerusalem. But things have been so bad, it's so hard to see it, amen? It's so hard to believe that this possibility could happen. And I don't know about you, I I can get very cynical. Anybody? Are you awake out there? Anybody? And And so when people say, oh, this could get better, I go, yeah, wait, right? That's not how the world is. But Isaiah says that's how God is. Hear these words. Beginning in verse 28, Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. God does not faint or grow weary. God's understanding is unsearchable. There's this deep reminder as the exiles are trying to figure out what's going to happen. Have you forgotten? God is always there. Have you forgotten? God's wisdom is unsearch- uh, undeniable. It's, it's this amazing moment that God's presence is everlasting, and God is constantly renewing, and God doesn't faint, and God doesn't get weary, and die- God doesn't give up on things, right? Right? was at a Cubs game on Friday. It was the worst game I've ever seen in my life, amen? If you watched it, I thought we were at a third grade baseball game, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and you can get discouraged at a Cubs game, amen? Even God says the Cubs are not hopeless. That's the kind of faith we have, amen, right? I just keep saying 2016, 2016, right? God gives power to the faint. Remember, God always sides with those on the margins, God strengthens the powerless. And then I love these words. Even youths will faint and be weary. We'll see if that's true this week at Mission Trip. And the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. I love that last verse so much. Too often... You and I know that we can be very weary. Even youths can become weary. And, and it's, it's a reminder to the exiles, but it's a reminder to us in this broken world. Amen? That God is constantly lifting. God is constantly renewing. God is constantly soaring with us. In commentary on Scripture and the Jewish tradition, many uh, scholars talk about that when the Messiah comes and we are taken to heaven, it will be literally on the wings of eagles. Do you see that, Right? It's a beautiful image that despite our weariness and our exhaustion, which is real, amen, God is behind the scenes lifting, renewing, soaring, and restoring. And then the second scripture from New Testament scripture is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And uh, you remember Paul helped found this church in Macedonia, and he writes this letter from prison, probably either in Ephesus or Rome. And you'll remember he writes these words to the Philippian church, which is struggling, which is in conflict, which is having struggles with poverty, which is living in Philippi, which is a Roman colony. So there's all sorts of Roman life and emperor worship. And we're trying to figure out what it means to be Christian in all of this brokenness. Amen. And Paul himself is in prison and writes this letter of encouragement beginning in verse four, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Sometimes that sounds beautiful, right? And sometimes it's hard to embrace. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. That's who we are. The Lord is near. And here's the hard one. You ready? This is going to be maybe the hardest thing we hear today. Do not worry about anything. Yeah, right. (laughs) Let's try it again. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, and I love this, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anybody worry in here? Anybody worry a lot? Anybody worry too much? Anybody let worry take over your lives? Yes? And we're reminded... That as God is restoring and renewing through Christ Jesus, we really shouldn't worry. It's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not saying it's easy. But he gives us some things to remember, that God is always guarding our mind and heart. There's a sense of deep protection. That's helpful to me. And the other piece is to be thankful always, to rejoice and have joy and thankfulness. And joy is not Pollyanna happiness, right? Joy is deep joy possibility rooted in gratitude and thanksgiving i've been working with my therapist on a gratitude journal anybody do that every morning i have to write something i'm thankful for and i i'm a perfectionist and i can be a cynic so i really have to go okay right not every day but some days right But if you think about beginning your day with gratitude, beginning with giving thanks to God for all you have, it really does help you to see that God is indeed guarding heart and mind. Amen? So I encourage you to think about that. You don't have to buy a journal. You could just write it on the refrigerator or whatever, but it's up to you. But I encourage you to think about these words from Paul that that in our gratitude and thanksgiving, we're made known to God. Finally, beloved, this is a guide for us as we live in this broken world. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so I've been trying in the moments where I get most discouraged to think about gentleness and honor and justice, and to continue to stay focused on God's work in the world. And then it says, keep on doing the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. And then these final words, which I really love. Rejoice in the Lord greatly, now at last you have received your concern from me. So they've renewed their relationship with Paul, and he's grateful. And then he says these final words in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say that with me. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Say it one more time. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Paul knows he can't do it alone. Amen? That's the other problem we face sometimes. We're in a place of struggle. We're in a place of hopelessness. We're in a place of anxiety, worry. We're in these difficult places. And American culture says, you can handle this. You got this. But honestly, friends, I don't always have it, right? You know what I mean? In fact, that's not helpful to me when somebody says, you got this. I don't have it. I'm still struggling with it, right? But Jesus says that with him we can do all things, that we don't have to pretend to have it all together, which is a very suburban thing, amen, right? Come on, folks, northwest suburbs. I've seen your Facebook page. You all look very happy. And sometimes we are, right? But sometimes we're struggling. But in Christ, we can do all things because he lifts us up. So in the movie, out of these lessons of soaring on eagles and being restored by God and acknowledging our brokenness and our fear and also acknowledging that through Christ we can do all things, there are two scenes I want to lift up. The first scene comes uh, sort of in the middle of the movie it's when they're replacing the roof, they're putting tar on the roof of the prison, which seems like a crazy thing that they've been brought into basically prison labor and they have to reseal the roof with tar. How many of you worked on a ceiling or roof? How many of you have slung tar? I have. It's no fun, especially because it's hot. And you don't do it in the winter, so you can imagine how miserable it was, right? So in the hot, amazing, horrible, sun of the summer they're restoring the roof and andy's crew they're all working on it they the guards are being exceptionally difficult it just seems like another horrible horrible day right and andy sees a possibility and so they're working, and Andy just stops working. And, of course, his fellow prisoners know that what that means. He's going to be in trouble. And they keep saying, Andy, get back to work. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get us into trouble. And Andy just stops and puts down the swab thing, and he walks over to the guards. Now, I don't know if you know etiquette in a prison. Maybe some of you do. But uh, you just don't start approaching the guards without some warning. Amen? So he starts approaching them without warning. And so all the guns go on him, right? I watched that scene again last night, and I got to tell you, it makes me extremely anxious and fearful. And of course, his fellow prisoners are shocked, like, what are you doing? He's overheard earlier this conversation of Captain Hadley receiving this $35,000 and knows it's all going to be taxed away. But the reality is Andy's a financial guy, remember? And so with Hadley's hand around his neck at the edge of the prison building, ready to be shoved off, he says, I can protect the 35000 legally. And of course that gets Hadley's attention, right? And though he holds him there for far longer than I can handle, he finally releases him and hears this. And then Andy does something extremely brave that I don't know if I could have pulled off. After it's all said and done, and he's going to do this for the captain, he says, but I need something in return. Now, in prison life, that doesn't really happen, right? But Hadley listens in, and he said, all I'm asking for you is for you to get three ice-cold beers for every one of my fellow prisoners so they can have a break and a moment that feels normal. Now, I know we're Methodists, and beer, you know, you'll get over that. Amen, right? But the reality is, Hadley agrees. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie is all of these prison guys on the roof of Shawshank Prison in the heat of the summer drinking ice-cold beer. And there's a beautiful thing that Red offers and a couple of other prisoners. For a moment, as we drank the beer, We felt like we were replacing the roofs on our own houses, and we were free. Isn't that beautiful? Really, it's beautiful. And one of my favorite parts of that scene is that Andy doesn't take a beer, and he sits off to the side, and he has this little weird grin on his face. But you realize his desire has been to bring joy, redemption, a moment and glimpse of freedom, into an unbelievable situation. Do you see that? That's what Paul was saying to the Philippians. If you focus on gratitude, if you focus on the possibility of helping others experience the joy and hope of Christ, that transforms the world. The second scene that I want to lift up is my favorite of the whole movie. You may remember I said he was the librarian, right? And he's convinced all these grants to come and restore the library, right? And he ends up getting a box full of records or albums. I don't know if you remember them. They're round and they're black. They have grooves in them. They play on a thing called a turntable. And the, and the music is read by a thing called a needle. Anybody remember them? Yeah. Um, anyway, so he put, Andy sees The Marriage of Figaro, an opera by Mozart. And he's just so... You can see it click. He sees what he can do. He's in the warden's office doing the financials, but he sees the PA system, and he sees the turntable, and he pulls that out of this crate of of albums, and he locks the door. Now, again, good etiquette. Prisoners don't lock themselves in offices at the prison, right? So we know he's going to get in trouble, but it doesn't matter to him, right? He places that piece on the turntable, and he begins to play it, The guard in the room begins to hear it and begins to complain. And then he turns the switch on the whole PA system. And throughout the whole prison, this duet by two beautiful women singing pervades this horrible and difficult place. Anybody seen that? It's one of the most beautiful moments as this amazing music floats over. And you can see the prisoners listening and transformed and hopeful and redeemed by this gift from God of this beautiful duet from the marriage of Figaro. It's just beautiful. As you know, Andy gets in trouble. In fact, they break the door down. He ends up being thrown into solitary in what's called the hole for two months. But he did it to bring beauty to a broken place, to bring hope to the hopeless To bring strength to those who needed it and to soar, to soar on the wings of eagles. Red says in a quote related to this moment in this scene, he said, I don't know what the two women were singing, I don't know what they were saying, I don't even need to know. But in that moment, it was the most beautiful and redemptive moment, and I felt free. I think that's who we're called to be as the church. Amen? In the midst of deep brokenness and hatred and racism and all the things that pervade this culture. Amen? We are constantly called to be the hope and restoration and redemption of the world. And we, can, we cannot do it ourselves. Amen? Amen? We can only do it through Christ who strengthens us. And we're also called to open ourselves, to open our hearts to God for that same healing in our lives, that same redemption of our lives, that that light and hope and the song, a song of beauty and transformation and salvation will permeate us as well. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord redeems, and we will soar, friends. We will soar on the wings of eagles. It will not be perfect. That's hard. It will not clean up nicely like Beauty and the Beast, but it will transform the world. And the people of God said,